This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by the Leader Score Assessment, a simple tool to evaluate the health of your leadership. Find out more at leadtowin leaderscore. Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt-Miller. And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. And in this episode, we're going to tell you the difference between the wise and the foolish and why it matters to you as a leader. The truth is, we've all done dumb stuff. Yep. (laughs) Losing our temper, telling a lie making a bad decision. I mean, that's just normal, you know, and it's often met with a sense of regret or shame or sometimes humiliation if it's a big enough deal. But we become, quote unquote, foolish when we repeat that behavior and we don't really learn from our mistakes, which is particularly problematic if you're a leader because foolishness can be your undoing. Definitely. And we've got Larry Wilson with us in the studio today to walk us through this topic. Hey, Larry. Hey, Larry. Hey. You know, if we're going to talk about wisdom, uh, we've got to establish some street cred here. <laughs> so, about how wise we are, about, Is that what about you're how you've learned and grown. So, <laughs> I, somebody fess up here. What's the dumbest thing you've ever done? We'll be telling one on Megan. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait. So, I, I would say that the place where I've been the most foolish in my life, and I, I would liken this to being naive is where I've I've tended to think I can enter into an agreement with somebody, enter into a business relationship, and I don't need a contract, or we don't need to clarify expectations, that we both have the best of intentions and it's all going to work out. And, and thankfully, in many cases, it has worked out, but I've also had some epic failures where I entered into an agreement with somebody, and this was just a oral or a verbal agreement, and it wasn't reduced to writing. And as it turns out, especially when we got into conflict, or once there was some money to be made, which is often how it happens in business, then uh, I realized that our expectations were very different. And the other party had one set of expectations, I had another, and now we're in a dispute. Well, the worst thing is when not only do you not write down your expectations or your agreement, but you just didn't even have it because you just assumed in your own head as you and I have both done on numerous occasions that, yeah, yeah, of course, of course, you know, that's how she'll do it. And, and then you find out later you were on like two completely different planets. Right. And so I've had to put things into place so that I don't repeat that behavior. And if you keep repeating it, you go from a mistake to being a fool. Right. Right. So if you do it one time, you know, that's okay. Sort of like the old saying goes, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Right. <laughs> So how do you define wisdom? I think wisdom is being an active observer in your life and learning its lessons so that you're continually growing and doing better and acting with the presence of mind of your past experiences and what you know to be true rather than, you know, just in the moment and acting rashly. I think it's acting in a way that's congruent with a desired outcome. Hmm, I like that. In other, in other words, I'm able to shape my decisions not based on impulse, the impulse of the moment, or how I feel, but with a view to something I'm trying to accomplish, something important I'm trying to accomplish, and something that matters in the end. If I can do that, I'm wise. 
the fool is all all about acting in the now without reference to anything outside of that immediate experience. The other thing is wisdom is looking ahead into the future and yes. seeing potential problems and acting accordingly in the present to avoid those things. Um, whereas, you know, foolishness is just kind of That's like good. a denial of the future. Yeah. And I would say on a positive note, it's looking ahead and seeing opportunities and conducting yourself yeah. in an appropriate way. What I'm hearing from you is that wisdom really isn't about being a smart person. I mean, an educated person, let me say that. No, no because I've known really smart people, people with PhDs, people with double PhDs that do really stupid things. So it's not about knowledge, not about talent. It's it's really about, you know, being able to comport yourself or conduct yourself in a way, again, that's congruent with something you're trying to create in the end. So we're talking today about the difference between the wise and the foolish and why that makes a difference for your leadership. And we have three practices of wisdom that will help you avoid repeating foolish mistakes and become a wiser, more successful leader. So the first practice is this. A wise person listens without becoming defensive. Now, this is really crucial. So Gail and I have a friend. She's a novelist. And at one point, she wanted Gail to review the manuscript of her new novel. So she hadn't shown it to a publisher yet, but she was just wanting some early feedback. So Gail dutifully read it. And by the way, you know, that's not a small investment of her time. So she was willing to invest her time in reading the novel. And she came up with about three pages of, I wouldn't call it exactly criticism, but um, it, it was certainly her feedback as to how to make the novel better. And so as she attempted to share it with her novelist friend, her novelist friend got super defensive, uh, burst into tears. And as it turned out, they weren't looking for feedback. They were looking for affirmation. Hmm. That's a fool. And, you know, first of all, I think that if you're wise, you're going to ask for feedback. You're going to have the humility to realize that you don't have all the answers, that there may be something you miss, that all you have is one perspective. And so it, it was good for her to ask for feedback, but she wasn't sincere about it. You know, all she wanted was affirmation. And if that's why we're asking questions, it is going to lead to defensiveness. We're going to be defensive when we don't get the affirmation. And we're not going to be any wiser when we're done. You know, I think about times when people on our team have had to come to me and talk to me about uh, something that I had done or some pattern that they saw that, you know, was just unproductive or problematic in some way. And when I think about those times, on the one hand, everybody's impulse is to be defensive. I mean, unless you're just, I don't know, super holy or super evolved or something, you're always going to have that impulse. But what I have found over time is that they're almost always right. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want to look like a real idiot, start getting defensive because everybody else knows that it's true. And even if I start out defensive, almost in my own mind, at least, I almost always get to the place of saying, oh, that's really true. I really did do that. You know, I didn't mean to probably, but I said that thing and it was, you know, not well received or it was the timing was bad or I was just thoughtless about it or careless. And if I would be, if, if I go to defensiveness, not only is it obvious to everybody else and I'm still wrong, but I miss the opportunity to really correct something that needs to be corrected mm -hmm. that I'm, that I've been blind to. 
Somebody told me one time, take responsibility for what you can take responsibility for. Right. So for example, let's just say somebody shares with me some feedback and I think, you know, 90% of that is bogus. Well, take responsibility and focus on the 10% that's not bogus. Mm -hmm. That's where you need to change. And that's really served me well um, throughout my life is to try to focus on where I'm responsible. How can I take responsibility for that and not be defensive and just let the rest of it go? I don't need to defend myself against every, you know, accusation or claim or bit of feedback that I don't particularly like. There is a lot of wisdom literature in the world. And I think probably every religion has its own sources of wisdom or repositories of wisdom. One of them is the biblical book of Proverbs, and Proverbs 2.15 says this, The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Mm. That seems to summarize what you're saying here. Yep. Yeah, and I think the measure of this as a leader particularly is, are you surrounding yourself with wise counselors? You know, first, are you admitting that you need counselors, you need advice, or are you content to just try to go it alone, to be the lone ranger? That also is foolish because you can't know everything you need to know to be successful in business or in life. And I think a wise person, you can just look at them and see, are they, have they surrounded themselves with wise counselors? I mean, this is, for example, for me, why I have a financial advisor, why I have a health coach, why I've gone into marriage therapy in the past and gone to marriage conferences. I want as many people as I can find to speak into my life because I realize that there's a thousand ways to go off the rails, and I, I just don't want to stumble into something uh, by being foolish and miss an opportunity to grow and to really develop my potential. An intentional way that you can do this in a professional context is regularly ask your team for feedback and make it safe for them to be honest with you. And you have to um, kind of prove this. You can say it, but you have to do it before they're really going to trust it, where they're in a situation where they provide feedback and they see you not get defensive. Um, but I think kind of the the next level of wisdom is, is seeking out feedback, either through outside resources like you're talking about, Dad, or in your own organization or family to that for that matter, um, and asking people, what do they see in you that you don't see in yourself? We actually did this as an exercise um, with our leadership team last year, and we sat around a table, the, the two of us did, and everybody had the opportunity to provide kind of like a 360 moment of feedback on us. And um, I would say most of what they provided, first of all, it was very constructive. You know, I mean, it was it was really done in a healthy way. But most of what they shared were probably not things that we were completely unaware of. But there were a few things, at least for my, speaking for myself, that I didn't know that I was doing that had become problematic. For example... With my one-on-one meetings, I was kind of juggling a lot of uh, new responsibilities at that time. My schedule, demands on my schedule had been changing. And so I kept moving my one-on-ones around, you know. So like if I needed to fit something else in, I'd move them to a different day. And uh, one of my direct reports said, I just got to tell you, when you do that, it upends my whole week. You know, I feel like I've got to accommodate you because you're my boss. um, But this is really disruptive. You know, there's a cascading effect that you don't even realize when you reschedule your your meetings with me at the last minute, um, you know, and I, I'm kind of thinking, oh, it'll be fine. You know, he, he'll probably be happy to have the extra time. And, but no, you know, and I, I just thought, man, I am unintentionally disrespecting his time. And thank goodness he told me because I didn't know. This kind of brings up an important point, And that is, I think we're less likely to listen to the people that are closest to us. Yeah. Okay. So let me give you an example. If it's a stranger 
who walks up, and maybe this is just because of my personality type, but if it's a stranger who walks up with some constructive feedback, I want to listen because I want to appear <laughs> to be wise, right? But now bring it a little bit closer to home. Where I tend to violate this the most, where I will get defensive or I won't listen like I should, is with Gail, yeah. with my wife. Right. You know, because I, I think I know where she's going and, you know, I might say something like, okay, I get it, I get it, you know, and, and then just start to be defensive. Yeah. And I, I caught myself doing that earlier this week. And I thought, after it happened, I I went and asked her forgiveness, but I thought, this is not who I want to be. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be a person who won't listen to the people who are closest and who have the best ability to give me help, because honestly, she perceives things about me that I can kind of glam up and hide from the world, mm-hmm. but she sees me in my raw state. So she's in the perfect position to give me the best feedback mm-hmm. and the best advice. And all I have to do is listen. Practice number one of a wise leader is to listen without being defensive. And the cost for not doing that is that it costs you opportunities to grow and change. Practice number two, accept responsibility without blaming others. This is a hard one. I think this is one you have to practice. You have to let go of the need, really, um, for fairness, because this is not going to satisfy that need. When you take total ownership of your mistakes, you're not doing that in proportion to what someone else did. Like, well, yeah, I know I did that, but this was bigger, what you did or what this other person did. You're really only focusing on yourself in that moment. And I think that's hard. I think it's difficult, um, particularly if you want to be right. I mean, I think our ego gets involved here and, you know, we, we really want like a fair and reasonable accounting of, of how things went down. Um, but one of the fastest ways to build trust with your team is to take responsibility even beyond what's called for and understand that at the end of the day, what happens on your watch is your responsibility, even if you didn't do it yourself. And that's a sobering thing to, to contemplate. That's one of the things I really have appreciated about you when we haven't gotten the business results or whatever, uh, you've taken full responsibility and ownership without blaming. You know, you haven't said to me, well, that was so-and-so's fault, you know, and I had no idea what was going on or whatever. You know, you've taken a full responsibility. And um, I, I just recently saw a Facebook post that our friend Ray Edwards had, and he had a T-shirt on that was hashtag. Um, everything's my fault. Everything's my fault. That was exactly it. Everything's my fault. And I thought, you know, that could be misinterpreted, obviously, or, or you know, you could abuse yourself with that. But I thought it was a great perspective. It's a, it's a perspective of total ownership. Mm-hmm. And I've told you and probably this podcast audience the story of an of a executive coach who asked me the question, what was it about my leadership yeah. that led to that result when I was trying to blame external circumstances? Mm-hmm. And I think this happens actually more than the obvious thing of just blaming a person. I mean, that's kind of junior high, high school level stuff. But when we start blaming circumstances, like it was the economy or it was our customers. You know, I see this a lot, by the way, people blaming their customers for their problems or there, I, I even see business owners blaming their employees. You know, my employees won't let me do that or they won't, you know, right. it's because of them <laughs> that I can't have the freedom I need to be able to work on that big project. Mm-hmm. Well, who created this culture? Who created this reality? Right. You did. And so I think it, that's where we've got to own it 100%. And a great book on that topic is Extreme Ownership. I love this book. This was really like my introduction, I would say, to this, this whole idea. What were your big takeaways from that book? 
I just think that that leadership rises and falls on ownership. You know, if you're if you're going to lead well, you have to ultimately believe and act as though uh, the buck stops with you, that you don't allow yourself to kind of have the psychological or emotional out of blaming other people. And it just causes you to take different action in the moment. It causes you to assess things differently when they don't go well. And in my experience of, of applying that idea, uh, there's always something about my leadership that is to blame. For example, even if I if I had a situation where legitimately I didn't know something was happening, that's also a problem with my leadership. You know, yes. if, if I didn't know that this whole situation was happening, I have failed in some way. And, you know, I'm not saying uh, or using that language of failure in kind of like a shamey way. I don't think that's very productive. But but to the point of wisdom, what we're trying to do is learn the lessons of our life. Because if we uh, default and give way to trying to save face, which is really kind of the opposite of this and ultimately leads to foolishness, uh, protecting our own image, we're hurting ourselves in the long run. We get kind of a little short-term gain because we get to save face. But in the long term, not only Obviously, are we going to be found out if we're foolish, but we don't even have the opportunity to become wise because life keeps presenting us with these invitations to learn and grow, and we keep you know, dismissing them. Yeah, about 30 years ago, I went through, as you know, a very serious business failure. And in that situation, initially, it was clear who was at fault. <laughs> it wasn't us. You know, We got into a distribution relationship with a company that had promised that they would exceed what we were doing on our own. And that's what we thought we needed. We needed a bigger sales force. We needed more sophisticated distribution. And as it turns out, they ended up develop, uh, delivering about 10% of what we were doing on our own. Wow. So it had a catastrophic impact on, on the business. And we essentially had to uh, close the doors and everything got repossessed by this company who had given us sales advances in order to tide us over and help us meet our cash needs. But it was about two weeks after the company folded that I looked in the mirror and I said, look, it's my fault. And, and by my, I said, it's my partner and I's fault because we were the ones that had the expectations. We were the ones who didn't vet the company like we should have. Nobody held a gun to our head and said, you had to sign this distribution agreement. We did that because we didn't do our due diligence. Here's the thing about it. Until you own it, you can't change it. Yep. Until you own it, you can't change it. If you're going to blame somebody else, then you're basically ceding all control to an outside force. You're suddenly gone from being the actor to being the victim. Hmm. You're being acted upon. That's a really good point. Once you take responsibility for it, and once I took responsibility in that situation, a lot of positive things happened. One, I stopped feeling angry about the other company. You know, And I, I, honestly, they didn't do anything unethical. They just didn't perform like we expected. And I think it was a bad fit. The second thing was, I realized that next time there could be a different outcome. That if I would just learn from this experience, I would do my due diligence going forward. I wouldn't be so naive. Um, I would make sure that I vetted anybody I was going to get into business with and make sure that they could deliver on the promise that they were making. So there are a lot of positive consequences, but that only began when I started to accept responsibility uh, without blaming. Mm -hmm. Let's turn this around for a second. We've been talking about the leader and you need to see yourself as responsible and accept that without blaming. Uh, but you likely have subordinates uh, or coworkers or team members who uh, may display this kind of foolish blaming behavior. 
When you see that, how do you respond? Well, in our company, one of our core values is total ownership. And that's really what we're talking about here. And so it's uh, an intentional part of what we teach and expectations that we have that we expect everybody to take that kind of responsibility. Um, if, if something doesn't happen uh, in alignment with our uh, goals with one of my direct reports, I'm going to call them on it if they try to blame somebody else. Thankfully, it doesn't happen very often, but it's not acceptable to me. You know, it's part of part of my taking ownership is making sure that they're taking ownership and holding them accountable. And so that would be my expectation for everybody in our company is that that same level of ownership goes all the way from, you know, the top throughout the entire organization. It's a cultural norm at Michael Hyatt and Company because we've said it's a value. And then we've done our very best as a leadership team to try to demonstrate that ourselves. Yes. I mean, the most profound way that you lead as a leader is to lead by going first. That's right. You know, you you are going to replicate whatever you are. If you're the kind of person that's always blaming outside forces, blaming the economy, blaming the weather, blaming your vendors, blaming your customers, whatever, your people are going to gonna going to replicate that and they're going to do the same exact thing. So the first place to look, if you see that behavior, you got to ask yourself the question, are they getting it from me? Mm-hmm. Am I contagious because I've got the wrong behavior? And if the answer to that is no, then did we make a bad hire? Do we need to, to do something remedial? Or do we just need to confront it and say, hey, look, that is not acceptable in this culture. You know, what was it about your leadership or the way that you conducted yourself that led to this outcome? And that's a powerful question to ask. Hey, everybody, Mike Boyer here. How would you like to get up-to-the-minute updates from Michael and Megan? Plus, advance notice of new products, special offers, and even a few vacation photos. Just follow them on Instagram. Search for at Michael Hyatt and at Meg H. Miller. Instagram is also a great place to engage. And yes, they do read your comments and frequently respond. Don't forget to check out today's show notes for a complete list of resources mentioned in this episode. Plus, an episode summary, complete transcript, and downloadable audio file. Get all that at lead2.win. Now, Back to the program. Well, the first two practices of wise leadership are to listen non-defensively, which gains you opportunities, and to accept responsibility without blaming others, which is empowering. It gives you choices. That brings us to the third practice of wise leadership, which is to change without delay. This one naturally follows from the last one. If you're not to blame, then there's nothing to change, which is exactly why people resist taking responsibility. Because if you do take responsibility, it by necessity requires change, right? And if you don't change, if people share feedback with you, and even if you listen intently, even if you say you're accepting responsibility and you don't change, you haven't listed listened and you haven't taken responsibility because those two things will result in change. Yeah, they this, have to result in change. This is kind of like where the rubber meets the road, right? Like you have to demonstrate how serious you are about the first two practices by making good on it with doing the things that have been brought to your attention. Well, I think that, that the wise person is eager to change. That's right. Because they're committed to a certain outcome. They want to get there. They don't want their own stupid behavior to pull them off course. So the best thing they could do is, you know, receive that correction, 
and make a change so that they can get to the, get the result they want. So in the case of Gail's friend, who was the novelist who didn't want to change, they didn't listen very well, number one. They didn't accept responsibility, but they didn't want to make any changes. You know, they thought the manuscript was perfect. And trust me, it was a long, long way from perfect. And any author who thinks that they can't make improvements to their manuscript is an idiot. And, I, and I've had authors in the past who have delivered me manuscripts and said, I don't want you to change a word of it because it's perfect. That's a fool. And that's not somebody I'm going to work with. Because when you're talking to editors who are working on manuscripts all day, every day, who are working in the world of ideas, who see the best of writing and the worst of writing, and if you're unwilling to listen to them, you're a fool. And that applies to a lot of areas of life. You know, it's like if I'm listening to my financial advisor and he tells me I need to take certain actions so, you know, that I, that I, my family's covered and I have what I need to retire if I aim to retire, and yet I don't do it, that's foolishness. You know, because a wise person is going to seek that counsel, accept responsibility, and modify their behavior. That's where the rubber meets the road. If there's no change in your behavior, you really haven't listened, and you really haven't taken responsibility. Well, let me ask you this. So let's say that you're dealing with someone that you have tried to coach. Uh, They've seemed to have been listening. They seem to accept responsibility, but you just don't see any change. They just go back and repeat the same behaviors over again. How do you respond to that? How do you deal with it? Well, I think that's really hard. Um, I think you have to have kind of an honest conversation with yourself about the likelihood that they're going to change because it's probably not very likely. You know, it's like we said in another episode recently, you can't want somebody to change more than they want to change. And so I think, you know, depending on, on what it is that you're talking to them about, you know, I think you're going to have to make some choices. You know, if it's not that big of a deal, but it's, or if it's not egregious enough to warrant termination in a professional context, then you're going to have to decide if you can live with it or if you're going to let it go. Um, or if it is egregious, you know, that's a different conversation. I, I think you have to confront the lack of change. You know, I think you owe it to them and to yourself to at least confront that and then see where it goes. But call them on that. Because I think a lot of people, particularly in large organizations, have sort of learned kind of the way it works. You know, I need to sound like I'm listening. I need to take ownership. But then I can just go away and not change because they're going to be busy and on to something else. But I think to confront that and say, you know, you were in my office a month ago. We talked about this problem. You seem to understand. In fact, you even took responsibility for it. But I haven't, to be honest, I haven't seen any change in your behavior. What's up with that? Let's talk about that. Then you make it about that. I like your answer better than mine. (laughs) We'll go with that one. Well, let's keep them both. (laughs) Well, as Mark Twain put it so aptly, never argue with a fool. Onlookers may be unable to tell the difference. (laughs) Oh, that's really, really good. Today we've learned that wisdom is an essential characteristic for good leadership and three practices of wisdom that you can adopt today. Listen non-defensively, accept responsibility without blaming others, and change without delay. So final thoughts today, guys? You know, these practices can seem really unnatural at first. If this is not the kind of family that you grew up in or maybe hasn't been characteristic of any organizations you've worked in, these can feel really uncomfortable. But over time... With practice, they become more comfortable and more familiar. And though they require some effort, 
they're really worthwhile. I mean, the, the payoff in terms of your leadership is so worth it. I'll tell you a practical takeaway for how I try to build wisdom in my life daily and incrementally is I read the Bible every day of my life because I believe that it's a repository of wisdom. And so I want to assemble this, this content into my brain, which has stood the test of time and is written in large part to give us wisdom. Secondly, I want to journal. So I want to process, and I'm making mistakes every day, I'm doing a few good things occasionally, and I want to process all that through my journal so that I so that I can latch onto it and not lose those nuggets of, of wisdom. And that has really served me well. And I think to have a daily practice of some sort where you're collecting wisdom, the Bible talks about you know, like a bee collecting honey, but to collect wisdom is a really good thing. Well, good advice. Thank you both. Thanks, Larry. Thank you, Larry. And thank you guys for joining us on Lead to Win. And join us next time when we're going to show you how to learn from your failures and setbacks. And we got a few to share with you. So until then, Lead to Win. This episode of Lead to Win has been brought to you by the Leader Score Assessment, a simple tool to evaluate the health of your leadership. Find out more at lead2.win/leaderscore.